This episode of the Filmmaker Mixer podcast is sponsored by Reed's Cleaners in Austin, Texas. We launder everything but money. This episode is also sponsored by Piers Henry Headshots, shining the spotlight on you. Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a show by filmmakers for filmmakers. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff. Today, our special guest is Patricia Vaughn. You may know her from her eight albums she's released as a musician, or possibly an actress being in projects like Spy Kids and Sin City. Yeah, Andrew, it really is a fun interview. Patricia talks about her songwriting process, touring overseas, staying connected with her fans, and her transition into directing her own films. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and tonight we are mixing it up with a talented actress, writer, director, and musician. It's our friend, the lovely Patricia Vaughn. How are you tonight, Patricia? I'm doing great. Thank you for the invitation. No, we're happy to have you. And uh, it should be fun tonight because we get to talk about a variety of skills, you know, acting and film and music. Um, but I wanted to start with a music question. Uh, my brother played guitar, and I still remember when I was five or six when, when Kip got his first guitar, and it's like this magic moment, you know. And and by the same token, my wife, Dee Dee, had a friend in grade school who was... Uh, inclined toward music, and his fourth grade teacher bought him a guitar, and he ended up ended up becoming a professional musician. And so there's something about putting your hands on that first musical instrument when you're a kid. And I'm wondering if you had a moment like that when, you know, maybe before you were interested in music, or maybe it's what spurred you to get interested in in music. Um, do you remember that? Oh, yes. moment like that? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I would say my first moment was when I found a pair of my mother's castanets in her armoire under lock and key. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, always, I was always curious what was in that armoire. And I mean, I just remember opening it and finding a uh, flamenco dress. It was yellow and black, with black trimming. And in Did a box. Did you put it on? No, I was tiny. I was a tiny little girl. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it would have been, could, it would have been could, just overwhelming. Yes, yes. It was a big dress to me. I, I must have been five <laughs> or six, I think. But um, I knew where the key was. And I was really a professional at crawling out of my crib at an early age where my mother was saying, who took Patricia out of her crib? And no one knew. And it was me. I crawled out of it. Um, but yes, it was a pair of castanets. And I, I didn't know what, I, I was like, what are these? And I was just so intrigued. And my mom caught me with them, playing with them. So she can give me my first lesson. But I just remember it just it being such a foreign instrument. I knew they were an instrument, but I just didn't know how to put them on my fingers. <laughs> oh, and funny. so once I, once it's, it's interesting how years later that they are the star of my show. I mean, the first thing I think of when I'm packing for a tour is like, do I have my castanets? But they're so fun because it allows me to be a dancer on stage with my rock and roll band to incorporate dance, everything that brings me joy and playing castanets, an instrument that is a was was also one of my first connections to my heritage as a Latina, as a Tejana, Mexican-American. Uh, my mother's family comes from Spain and my father's from Mexico. So it was that first connection of of music, but culturally connected, right? Interesting. Did you have a similar experience when it came to acting, whether it be in front or in front of a camera or on stage? Well, my brother Robert, being a maverick filmmaker, he always had a camera glued to his head and he was always filming us. So we were his actors um, from an uh, early age. Uh, I would say he was 12 when he first 
discovered the camera. My father actually gave him a camera, um, and uh, he started using us as actors. Uh, there are so many short films that there are in the archives that no one will ever see, but <laughs> that was our first, my first, um, you know, debut in a film, and it was so exciting because there was no script, which was great. He didn't have a shot list. I didn't even know what that was later on. I go, he never used a shot list. It was all in his head. He would just tell us what to do. And he goes, hey, I'm making something quick. I need you in five minutes. And you had to be ready. And we were so excited, like, who was going to be chosen to be in his short film, you know? Um, so that was my first, um, you know, connection to that and involvement in any way. And then when I moved to New York, I started auditioning professionally, and it just uh, came quite easily for me. But again, it was very joyful the way he would do it. it there was no pressure, right? It felt very, felt very natural him directing us. Interesting, yeah. I know we first worked together on my short film Wildlands, where I was looking for a, a great original song to feature at the end of the film, and you were gracious enough to lend your talents in creating Courage Under Fire with Robert LaRoche. Could you speak more <laughs> about that process and what in, into creating a song like that? Oh, well, you guys made it so easy for me. I was so jazzed about the invitation to write a song. Um, I knew I wanted it to be a brand new song. And that one, we actually had, I always love starting with the title. Um, uh, I, I think it makes it so much easier. You know what it's about. It just kind of writes itself. So we had that title and we had the chorus already, actually. We just didn't have the verses. So I went to him excitedly and said, hey, let's pull out Courage Under Fire. I think this is going to be perfect. It's an E minor, which is a very dark, you know, um, melancholy chord. It's one of my favorites. It's either E minor or A minor for me. And um, the chorus saying, you know, courage under fire, death bells in the night, um, hope to see the morning light. So once we saw the trailer that you sent us, it was very easy to write the rest. And we sent it to you and you... You loved it. So I was so happy that it found a home. No, yeah, it was great. I mean, what was, was there a different process when it came to working with Steven, the what, freaking collaborator of Jeff and I's that he did the music score for the song? I know he had a little bit of his own imprint on this, on Courage Under Fire. And just wondering if there was a different workflow that you hadn't experienced before, or maybe was unique in some way. I think it was just very effortless. You know, once you have a targeted idea, which you guys had, it was there. And visually, I'm a very visual person. So you made it so easy for me to watch it and then write it. Do you know what I mean? And then he took it and just developed it beautifully. So I'm curious, um, and you touched on this a little bit already, but I'm very, I'm very curious about the process of how people create things. And so is it like a like a tone and a and a musical riff first and then it's a lyric. I know you said you like that start with the title. How yeah. do you blend <laughs> your lyrics and music? Is it one over the other? Is it a combination? How does that work if it if it can even be explained? Oh, I think it can be explained by giving you examples. Like um when I co wrote with Rosie Flores, we wrote three songs and I told her send me a title and then it'll write itself. So she sent me this cats in the doghouse cut from the same cloth and on my recent album which was a christmas album she sent me santa's on a rampage and um which actually was chosen as the coolest song in the world on little steven van zandt's underground garage so it became a hit so wow. <laughs> you know what i mean so but with the title awesome. this is what happened so with this cats in the doghouse it's such a great title that she brought me it has to be repeated so the actual 
chorus and you'll already if you have the chorus the rest will write itself so it's this cat's in the, i repeat it three times this cat's in the dog house this cat's in the dog house this cat's in the dog house and i'm never gonna let him out then it goes into this raucous rockabilly raging song and then i can visualize the words already because we already have the main part of the song um same with cut from the same cloth which we had joe ely um as a special guest on vocals we repeated it I said, let's repeat it because it's such a beautiful title and a beautiful message. And it's, um, it repeats three times. We're cut from the same cloth. We're cut from the same cloth. We're cut from the same cloth. And love is gonna run you right out of town. So again, you repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. But it's such a great, and Santa's on a rampage too. So that I can only give like examples. Uh, Rebel Bride started with the title, and it's Rebel Bride, Rebel Bride, come on, little honey, won't you step inside? And that became like a righteous wedding song, you know? And um, so if you have a great title, I always really try to go with that because it just really writes itself. Um, other than that, I love just hearing, um, if I take a walk in the park, I wrote my entire Christmas album during COVID, Walking in Nature. Um, I can't tell you the effect that nature has on me, uh, but just you listen to the album and it was 10 original songs and it was only meant to be one single, a single track album. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a full length album at all, but just walking and looking and talking to the trees and flowers. And I mean, um, I heard melodies in my head that I didn't even, didn't even play on guitar when I recorded each song. It was just in my notes, you know, my vocal uh, voice notes, not with an instrument at all. I don't even think I did that with any of the songs. So I would say That's melody and being a dancer. I've been dancing ballet since I was nine. Um, I, it's like putting words to choreography, but I don't need an instrument for that, I've noticed. Um, I just hear the melody and then put the words with the melody, write it down and record it, and then go from there. And then the instrumentation, I can do that later. But normally it's um, how I feel and what I hear. Play what you hear. That's what Jimmy Vaughn always told me. (laughs) Play what you hear. What was that? (laughs) Jimmy Vaughn always told me, play what you hear, like uh, on a lead guitar. But that also goes with when you're writing, for me, writing a song, what what am I hearing? Wow, this is a beautiful melody. Let's record that and put music to it, just like a ballet. It's almost sometimes when when I'm writing on a screenplay, every now and then you get in the zone, and I swear it's more like dictation than creation. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're hearing these, hearing these uh, lyrics or these riffs in your head, and you're just translating at that point. It's like you're in the zone. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and just being out walking in, in nature, or if you're in a foreign country, I always love like when I'm in Spain, especially just looking at these beautiful, the beautiful architecture, and I just really um, try to zone in on a melody just to capture and encapsulate a moment in time, a moment where I am, of a, a city that I love, um, any city in Spain or in France, in Paris, and wanting to bottle up that emotion and then release it into a song so you can give it as a gift to your fans in the world forever because there's always a story behind a song and i'm a sagittarius i love to travel and i love to just um soak up the different cultures and languages and the people that i meet along the way and just have a memento right and you mentioned you mentioned the story behind the song 
um, you know, since you've created music videos for your work and since you've done short films and so forth, obviously you're a natural storyteller. So I'm curious, uh, does, does storytelling impact a song as the song's being developed? Do you create the story or do you have maybe a bit of a preconceived story before you start? Um, that's a very good question. Um, can I can use some examples on my debut album. It was a song called Dance in the Circle. And when Robert LaRoche brought me the music, it sounded very tribal to me. And I, I was reading a book called um, Prison Writings by Leonard Peltier. And I wanted the song to be dedicated to the Native Americans. Um, and it was more like a prayer-like battle cry, if you hear the words. You know, it uh, always brings tears to my eyes when I sing it. Um, and I made a lyric video for it, but it's that definitely I started reading like a book called 500 Nations and really trying to get, uh, um, like if I'm going to write a song about it, I need to know what I'm talking about and what I want the message to be. And it became more like a prayer, you know, for these these indigenous people. Um, another example, story-oriented, more on a happy note, is one of my, I love writing tribute songs. On my, on my uh, second album, I had three. Uh, Joe's Joe Ely. It's called Joe's Gone Riding. Alejandro Escovedo took the title track, Guitars and Castanets, and Johnny Reno from the band Johnny Reno and the Sax Maniacs. He, he took the song called Sax Maniac. So, but with, with Joe's Gone Riding, there's a whole story there of what he's like. I mean, he's a real person. He's a gypsy cowboy. Um, he used to ride the rails. And so, uh, one alliance is um, he hustled pool, hopped the train, headed down to San Antonio, a restless heart. He lives life down to the bone. So you really get to know who he is through the song. And it was more like um, just a dedication uh, to this generous spirit. He, he's always very generous to musicians. And he was for me starting out. And he allowed me to open for him several times, especially during a wine festival. And there's a, I allude to that in the, in the song, like one of the lines is, there ain't no opening band for no wine festival. But if Joe says, Joe says. <laughs> <laughs> like he stands his ground. You can't mess with them. And that's what the chorus is. Um, another song is the scene of J James Dean, one of my favorite actors that really his life was cut too short. I wrote a song called Jet Rink, and it's one of my mother's favorite movies as well as mine. It's an epic called Giant. Um, but that oil well scene, um, his character was not likable at all, but the, the oil well scene, my mother just loved every time we see it. And it's just a, an amazing, pivotal scene. And I wanted to write a song around it. So uh, the chorus is about, you know, um, I'm a rich and I'm a rich boy, but in love, you know, and about riding, walking down in Riata. So I get to step into that scene as if I was there with James Dean. You know what I mean? Nice. <laughs> hey, that rhymed. That rhymed. <laughs> so, um, so how similar is writing music, either lyrically to writing a screenplay. I know you just got done with a short film called Dark Hollow, which Jeff and I both got to see, and it was great. Is it the process similar? Is it very different? Or have oh, you it's been very able different. to very oh different? Gosh. It's like night and day. It is another animal. Um, again, growing up in a family of 10 children, we all played instruments, and even my brother. Uh, but when he started making films, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, how did he do that? <laughs> You know, um, when I moved to New York, um, I was always behind the camera doing commercials and auditioning. And I always loved the fact that he was 
you know, in the creative chair and his his word was gold, you know, and, and when you're auditioning on, on my end, it's like you are, I don't know, you want to say at the mercy of people, but you kind of are. It's not your dialogue. It's someone else's dialogue. And um, and so that's what I, why I loved about music. It's my identity. It's my, I own it. I can rock out on a stage and my interpretation of my songs are always going to be right, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> so that's why I, I, all my albums are original music because, um, you know, I, I I think people that do sing covers, they sing, sometimes they sing them really amazingly and then sometimes you're like, why did they butcher that up, you know? I never want to be that person. So, um, but when it came time to make uh, my first short film, it was because I took my brother's master class. Um, I was so intrigued when he made his film Red Eleven, which um, was going back to the basics, going back to his roots. And um, he even had a contest on his TV channel, El Rey, like, okay, step up to the plate. We're taking um, submissions send us your idea and you might be chosen to make a $7,000 film. And I will make one as well called Red 11. And it was, uh, that inspired me. I was definitely in the room when he was teaching that masterclass. And um, he, so he made the film and then he teaches the masterclass as you're looking at bits and pieces of that film and how he made it for that amount of money. And you're just right along with them. So that was the point where it was a pivotal time where I went, my gosh, this sounds like fun. What a better person to try it out than his own sister. (laughs) So then then I can go when I do comic cons. I love doing those kind of things because I can't tell you how many young people come up to me saying, I used to draw. I used to do this. I used to do this artistically. My teacher said I wasn't good enough, or this person said I wasn't good enough. I said, you didn't listen to them, did you? And they did, and they stopped. So I, so now that's mm-hmm. something I can tell them. Like, look, I, 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 I finally took this, this master class. I made my first film. You can do it too. Go do it. You can shoot it on an iPhone. Just go do it. Keep drawing. Keep writing. Don't listen to your detractors. Um, they know nothing. And... Um, and so that I'd like to be that person to inspire others. And I've always loved not limiting myself because look, I mean, look what I, I feel like I've built my own empire with eight albums of my own on my own label. Um, and of course there's an inspiration of my brother always because he's the do-it-yourself king, right? So I was so excited when I did make this short film. Um, it wasn't easy because I didn't know what to write about. Um, and then I, I, I figured it out that I really wanted it to be an homage to Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone. Something, again, you just, what inspired me when I first started even watching television. And as a family, we always loved Rod Serling's uh, messages. Um, there was always a perfect amount of creepiness to jolt the viewer into watching his half-hour show. wasn't long. And there were so many of them with just great messages at the end. You know, humanitarian, um, you know, showed the humanity behind the story. So I figured, let's do that. So that's what I, you know, mirrored my, uh, just a a four-minute short film about forgiveness. And um, and I'm so happy that it it actually won Best Women Empowerment short in Paris. It's a Paris International short film festival that I'm very proud of. That I'll always have to remember that 
first, you know, first debut short. Well, that's really exciting. And is it safe to say you're got a little bit of the writer director bug now? Should we be on the lookout for other things? Are you? Oh my gosh! Looking to helm the creative lead. I would love to. I would love to. You know, love to um, explore more. And that's what life's all about, right? Your own journey, right? There's no pressure. There shouldn't be. Don't be so hard on yourself, and just have fun. It's a journey and an adventure. And the fact that this even happened, and the coolest thing is, um, you know, when I told you I moved to New York back in 1990, it was because of our big sister, Angela. She helped me move there. She's the leading actress in my short film. And it just felt like it was a 360, you know, I mean, um, both of us going on auditions all those years. And then here she is being um, the leading actress in my first short film. And she won four or five Best Actress Awards in Con International wow. Film Fest, Brussels just recently, two in New York, um, San Francisco. Um, so that that's going to definitely inspire me to do more. And I encourage other people. There are so many great master classes that you can see, masterclass.com, and you can see anything you want to learn. And I hope I never stop learning. It's always so much fun to read books and learn and watch master classes on anything and try it yourself. You'll surprise yourself. Well, speaking of learning, um, when I was growing up, I loved animation. I was always doing stop motion with oh, know, yeah. different cutouts and figures and claymation and things like that. And yes, you actually yes. animated a couple of your music videos. And I'm wondering what laid to, uh, I'm wondering what led to that creative choice. And did you have to go through a learning process to figure out how to do that? Yes. Um, well, I took classes at the Austin School of Film also to do my sh first short film. Um, but there was a class that I, I, it was like the law of attraction. If you really want to do something, write it down. And I promise you, the title that I saw screaming out at me was how to make your own music videos using your own drawings. And I just jumped out of my skin. I couldn't believe it. And the teacher, her name is Jean Stern. And the first day of class, I was my heart was exploding because the floodgates opened up and she was teaching us how to do 2D animation um, using your own drawing. So the first uh, one was my song, Sailor and the Mermaid, El Marinero y la Sirena. And the second one was Paris Trance all about Paris. And it actually took me to Paris. It, it was in two Parisian <laughs> film festivals. So I'm the girl, I'm the cowgirl in the video um, going to Paris for the first time. And so I'm it like manifested itself because of the joy. But Bugs Bunny and, and um, Chuck Jones, really, my brother had given me oh, yeah. a book on Chuck Jones and all of his drawings. And I just um, was fascinated how he did that and all the backgrounds of you know Bugs Bunny backgrounds are very simple if you look at them very simple backgrounds and so when it came time to do my first one uh, The Sailor and the Mermaid it was so much fun to draw the treasure chest and the pirates and the sharks and the fins and the and then finding the little sailor jumping you know mutiny on the bounty and the shark infested waters I was having a blast and um, and just making all the drawings and then it took me to my I've made four so far. The third one was probably my favorite because it's about a real person. It's about Federico Garcia Lorca, the uh, one of the most um, praised um, t poets of the 20th century, and he died at um, you know, he was assassinated during the Spanish Civil War, and they never found his body. So to make an animation 
to encapsulate that, um, but how his works were tried, they tried to destroy his works, but he became more famous than ever. And he's translated in so many languages um, that he's a beacon for all artists. With all these mediums you've been in, whether it be film or music, is there something left you still want to do, whether it be a certain genre of music, genre of film, or type of acting role? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I'd love to continue to write music and collaborate with people. I would love to do more acting. It would be so great. Um, uh, Spy Kids Armageddon is coming out this year, and um, I, I'm in it. Um, and my brother, Robert, he named the children's characters after me and him. So that was a nice tribute. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really neat. So, I know. Patty and Tony. Again, for me, it's like <laughs> I really am a very spiritual person. And whatever comes my way, I, I always say a prayer like, keep me on your mission. Diosito, baby Jesus, keep me on your mission. I'm here for you. What do you want me to do? So anything that comes my way or I get inspired to do, I there's there's very little fear behind it. But there's like um, like excitement, like let's try it. And if it fails, it fails. But at least I tried it. And um, I really feel that, um, you know, I just want to see what happens. So, yeah, I look forward to anything that comes my way. But um, I feel like I'm on, a, I'm on a, a nice mission and a nice journey. Well, well, pivoting back to music just for a second. Um, obviously, here in Austin, there are so many iconic musicians. And you've worked with, you know, many, many, many of them. I'm curious if there was a piece of advice that you were given by someone early in your career that you never forgot and maybe even passed on to somebody else. Well, sure. In fact, when I wanted to start my band in New York, uh, when I absolutely decided, I was um, performing in a three-piece a band, a man from London, Mick and the Maelstroms, and I was his bass player. He taught me all the arrangements on bass, so that was my first uh, instrument performing it live. But when I made a decision to start my own band, I called Johnny Reno. Johnny Reno from the Sax Maniacs. And um, he's like a family friend and we've co-written many songs together and he's um, recorded music for my brother's films. But he was the first call I made to confess that's what I was going to do. Like, I'm going to do it, Johnny. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start my own band. Do you have any advice? And he said, yes, one word, patience. And uh-huh. I said, I got patience. I got a lot of patience. And I I didn't need anyone else's, you know, advice from that moment on. I, I had it and I knew I had patience. And then eight albums later, um, I always thank him. He's, he plays on practically on every album I ever made. He's one of my greatest influences. And so that's what I would tell people, you know, have patience, but also believe in yourself. Because, and I know from experience, when I want to collaborate with someone, they see your body of work, they're going to want to go do research. Who is this person? Do I really want to work with them? And they've seen my track record. And on my last current, my current album, which was during COVID, the Christmas album, let me tell you, um, I had Ruben Blades get on board and we co-wrote a song and sang a duet, Las Posadas. I had... Tom Petty's drummer, Steve Ferroni, Carmine Rojas, David Bowie's bass player, Tommy Price from Billy Idol's band, and uh, Alex Ruiz del Castillo. But I mean, it was an all-star band, three members of Chris Isaac's band. And I was completely overwhelmed by their willingness to work with me, you know? Um, And I felt, wow, 
this was worth it. (laughs) Them saying yes to be a gift to the world was worth every, you know, gota de sangre, you know, like believe every artist puts in their blood, sweat, and tears to put out an album or to make a movie. It's not always easy, but if you just stay the course, that would be my message to people. Make it your journey, not anyone else's, because there's always going to be a voice in the background saying, you should be doing this. You should be using this band. You should be, you know, getting songwriters from Nashville. No, no. If that's not in your heart and soul and the core of you, shut it out. And then you're able to shout out your real self on stage or behind the camera or in front of the camera. And, you know, after doing a number of these conversations, a lot of guests we've had that are involved either in music or live performance says, you know, music is very instantaneous when it comes to feedback. You just see the crowd right away while film, you know, you shoot and you wait eight months to a year before it comes out and then you start getting feedback on your performance. Is there a, is there a preference one way or the other? And I'm curious also how you stay connected to the different fan bases, whether it be with music or film, if it's the same, if it's different. Oh, well, being a performer on stage, you get an immediate response from the audience. Um, I find, um, you know, when I perform here or in Europe, they are very respectful and know more about, you know, Texas artists like Buddy Holly and, you know, being from Love of Texas. And um, they'll tell you stories after the show. I really love, um, you know, getting the feedback on stage. Um, I think that's the most immediate feedback mm-hmm. that I get that's very, that brings joy to my heart and always inspires the next album you know, that I write. I think um, my fans, when I put it out there, they'll know me first as a musician and then I'll let them know what I'm doing because um, that was my first film, really. And I really didn't um, premiere it anywhere except El Paso Film Festival. That was the debut. But since we was there was COVID, no one could go anywhere. So I was um, releasing it, you know, submitting it to film festivals and things like that. So... Yeah, I never got to go to the actual um, film festivals in person, so I couldn't really gauge that. You know what I mean? No, yeah, totally. Right, right. You know, getting back to the music, you were you were talking about touring in Europe, and um, a lot of my musicians, a lot of my musician friends say that um, the European audience is so into blues and and as you mentioned, Texas music. And I'm curious what it's like performing over there versus performing here. Is there a difference um, in terms of the, the passion for the styles of music? Oh my goodness. I would say there's definitely a difference. Um, and the, I want to mention first that you can go to four countries in Europe in the same amount of time that you drive from Austin to Lubbock, Texas. So <laughs> you can fit four Denmarks in one state of Texas. So. Um, I do enjoy going over to Europe and performing. Um, we played Montreux Jazz Festival as well. Um, and I think the cast and as the cultural connection, they said that even if they can't understand the Spanish that I sing, they feel it with the music and it reminds them of their vacations in Spain, which I found very interesting. Um, again, they, they have a very strong um allegiance or um, respect um, for the music when they hear it. So you will not hear a pin drop until after you have spoken or sang your 
very last note and there's dead air and then they'll come out with a resounding clapping which is is it that um, interesting yes it is That's it's interesting very fascinating i know and then i do love you know learning enough of their language to tell them get out of your seat you know or hands would summon manos arriba you know say it in spanish first and then in their language you know and they really love the fact that you try to speak a little bit in their language and connect with them to that. And uh, that's one of my passions. And so my dream would be to be a polyglot. Um, but I, I just love going over there. And it always inspires me. I wrote a song called Paris Trance. Um, again, that was one of my animations. And, right, and right. Uh, to be able to sing that over there, I love to sing all about Spain, my, my Spanish album of I think it's 11, no, 17 songs on that album, actually. Wow. Um, most of them were written in Spain. And um, so I love singing it when I go over there, reconnecting with my heritage, where my ancestors are from. So you're queuing up, I just imagine this, you're queuing up for your next short or or maybe uh, your first feature. You're going to direct it. And notwithstanding what the subject matter is, who would be your dream cast? Oh my gosh, that's a loaded question. I don't even know. Uh, I can tell you who I'd like to write a song with. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, that's good. I, we'll go there. Oh my gosh, that's been my brain. Um, one of my favorite musicians that I love multi-dimensional artists like Ruben Blades. You know, he, um, he's uh, just amazing. And Federico Garcia Lorca, multi-dimensional. They cross-pollinate their talents and it's an ex- explosion of a kaleidoscope of colors and different things that they do well one of those artists just released an album and his name is julian lennon and it's the most beautiful album um he said he stopped writing i think for 10 years because the critics were so hard on him and i think that's really sad for them to crucify that man he's an amazing artist and the album that he made is just so beautiful um and uh, he's also a, a well-known photographer and has ex- exhibitions and he's a humanitarian. He made documentaries he, uh, behind the camera in front. I mean, what an amazing artist. I would love to collaborate with him in some way. Um, so that's my answer there. As far as a, ah, good a film, right? I, I love him. Um, um, let's see, um, for a movie, gosh, I, I, I'm sure my list is long. It would depend on what it was about and everything, but I would definitely say that I would put myself in it like Hitchcock would always make a cameo. I would definitely make a cameo. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good question, though. I'd have to really think about it. But, but my favorite—I'll tell you what my favorite movies are. That maybe uh, it'll mirror. I love um, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but then. Growing up in a family of 10 kids, we got our dose of classic films, MGM musicals, The Red Shoes, anything of ballet I just absorbed. I still take ballet. Um, and so, yeah, the golden age of Hollywood musicals, Seven Brides with Seven Brothers, Hello, Dolly, The Sound of Music, um, you know, all those movies always have affected me in some way and play out in my music that I write. So something like well, so that. Your love, of, it... your love of, of music and film combining, I suppose. Sure. I mean, can you imagine at that young age, um, my brothers and sisters, we got a, a healthy dose of not only the movies, but my mother would always give us the background stories of 
This soundtrack was was made by Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim, you know, West Side Story, Rodgers and Hammerstein, sound of music, Gershwin, Cole Porter. I mean, wow. So to get that education that early in life, um, and then The Red Shoes, which was that ballet, epic ballet movie that was way before its time. I think it was made in 39, um, first, one of the first colored movies, um, and me being a ballet fanatic, um, wow, that just inspired me never to stop dancing and for it to be incorporated into my rock shows. And that's a big part of my show is dancing with castanets. That all comes to play. So that's why I love to tell people, don't limit yourself. Um, you don't have to have to focus on just one thing. Just do what your heart tells you. Interesting. Yeah. And based off that answer, I have a feeling what your next answer will be with our little segment we like to do where we have our producer, Jeff Weber, leave a question for our guests. The catch is he doesn't know who the guest is, so he just leaves random questions for people. Ooh, and so okay. I'll play it for you right now. Oh my. If you were given an opportunity to work on a period piece of your choosing, what period would it be and what is the subject matter? Roaring 20s. Oh, interesting. Definitely the Roaring Twenties. Um, and thinking on the top of my head, the song I wrote, Paris Trance, we were going for that. Jingle Reinhardt, you know, um, Hot Club of Paris. So I already got, I captured that in a song and animation. So there you go. I love that era, jazz hot, the jazz hot. That's a good answer. I like that. And I like that a lot. Well, we sure appreciate you taking the time tonight. It's been fun chatting with you. Oh, and, thank you. And, um, um, you are, are a wealth of, of talent and information, and we certainly enjoyed the time tonight. Thank yeah. you so much, guys. I had a ball. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you for listening, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Jeff Weber. Our theme song was created by alien abductee Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.